Thank you, and uh, we are looking forward to having Matt at Owen Sound. We're in the middle, well, just started last weekend, seven straight weekends of teen ministry retreats at our Bible Institute there in Owen Sound. And uh, we bring in speakers there that can communicate and challenge young people in the Word, and we're privileged to have on our guest visiting list this next uh, couple of weeks, in two weeks' time, Matt will be there, Lord willing, sharing with young people. And uh, I wasn't expecting him to uh, make those kind comments about my daughter, but uh, God has been so good to our family. And... uh, My family didn't sign on to become missionaries. Uh, I was a high school teacher. My wife came from an unsaved family, a moral family, but an unsaved family. Uh, Mom was a skeptic, dad was an agnostic, wonderful, wonderful people. And uh, she had no church or Christian routines in her experience. We met in high school. Uh, She chased me there. Actually, she was very good in languages, and I was terrible in languages. And in those days in Ontario, you needed a grade 13 language credit in order to get into university. And uh, so I needed to pass French, and she was very good in languages, and so there was one seat in front of her, and so it was because of the need for language encouragement that I chose that seat. I just want you to know that's the only reason. (laughs) And as she began to tutor me in language, and I noticed that she was not only good in language, but she was attractively good in language... I became increasingly less skilled in French. It was, it was funny how that all worked. But uh, as a result of connections with some Christian young people in our high school, she came to know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And then uh, we were committed to serving the Lord in our local church as lay people and loved that, loved that experience. And if you're here today and you're in a local church, and you're not involved, you're missing out on one of the great blessings of long-haul living, one of the great growth and challenging experiences that life presents to men. We're struggling today across missions and across churches because of men not fulfilling their role. And what a blessing it is. And so, we, we started to work in our youth ministry at our local church, and I was teaching high school, and she was teaching public school, and, and God, through a series of progressive touching of my heart and our hearts, wasn't one of those things where, although He could have, He could have crushed us to the ground to get our attention. I'm so thankful that in our lives, time and time again, He has used the still, small, gentle voice. And... Uh, 
called us to become missionaries and leave teaching and become faith missionaries. And our kids were at an age then. Our daughter was 10 or 11. Our son was 7 or 8. And uh, we uprooted them from everything. We had a, a great situation where we were living. We were very happy. It wasn't because of being unhappy with teaching or unhappy with the church or going through a midlife crisis or any of that kind of stuff. But God just very clearly moved us into missionary work and raising support and becoming missionaries and relocating our children and adjusting to new environments. And God has been so good to our family. And uh, my daughter, who was mentioned here, is in Chicago. Uh, She went to Bible school and then uh, with Word of Life and then ended up in Moody and, and met a missionary kid from South Africa. His parents are South African missionaries of English background. They work with SIM in South Africa. He was at Moody the very same year my daughter was at Moody. They met. They have a wonderful family in Chicago. And I was just sharing with Matt, as God continues progressively to move our lives along, guys, from a ministry situation in Chicago, God has laid on their heart to become missionaries and go to South Africa, go to Cape Town, and work with refugees in Cape Town. And you know, when things like that happen as a grandparent with two little kids over, two little grandkids over there in Chicago, we've sort of had to think that through, how we were going to respond to that. I am so thankful that to this point, God has given us complete peace about saying, yes, that's where our grandchildren belong, where God wants their parents. And I'm just so glad that uh, God has moved in her heart that way. Now, you know, you touch these emotional things, and then I get all all off topic. We got to get back on topic here because... You know, we got something big coming up. We, we got to eat again in a few minutes. Amen. And there just hasn't been enough food around here this weekend, eh? I mean, we got we to go through it again, guys. So the persecution is coming of the, all that wonderful food that's going to be waiting for us. And we'll just endure these next few minutes and look forward to that great provision. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 15, 16. Excuse me, Acts chapter 16. We're talking about long-haul living. God builds life for the long haul. He builds the Christian life for the long haul. We need to be men who are committed to long-haul living. Not a sprint, but a marathon. Uh, Not a little trip somewhere to Walmart and back, but a long-haul journey. And... uh, All of us know that when we go on a journey, we can encounter detours and delays along the way. It's part of the trip. I was visiting in Quebec at our our ministry there and and doing some work there a couple of weeks ago and just there for a couple of days and was anxious to get back to home base and back to my family, my wife back in Owen Sound. And so we headed out that morning and 
headed from Sherbrooke up to Montreal, and we were just moving right along, making great time. I had already calculated when we would be home, because I've traveled that road so much, and I know exactly the right time in the morning that you have to hit Montreal to get across the bridge, and exactly the right time in the afternoon where you have to go through the congestion of Toronto, which is a permanent traffic jam these days. And, and I had it all planned when I was going to arrive home. Well, we come out of Quebec and get to the Ontario border and hit the 401, and all of a sudden the, the sky up in front of us changed and uh, a, an ice storm had moved in. And we kept going at reduced speed, and the ice was building up on the car, et cetera, et cetera. And we got down around Kingston, which is a stretch there in Kingston, Ontario, where the roads, if there's going to be any snow anywhere in Ontario, in the southern part of Ontario, it's going to come across there between Kingston and, uh, Kingston and Belleville area. And sure enough, we started to get signs along the road that, say, that said, all the traffic on the 401 was going to be detoured ahead. And we're already now several, an hour and a half behind my schedule of arriving home, and, and now, man, there was going to be a detour. We pulled up, we went off the ramp, and they took us down another road and a few miles further west, and then brought us back up to rejoin the 401 after missing a whole section of the 401 and I was sort of, you know, I was tired. We'd had a lot of meetings, and I just wanted to get home. And I was planning on being home at a certain time. I knew my wife would make a wonderful meal for me to get back home and all that kind of stuff. And I was just looking for an evening to relax. And man, a detour, an ice storm. Just the whole day, the whole journey just seemed, it wasn't my plan, it wasn't my schedule. So we went around the detour and got back on the 401 and conditions improved. And it took us about three and a half, three hours longer, I guess, that day to get home than what I had planned. And a couple of different roads that I wasn't planning on ever being on. Saw some things that I'd never seen before because of this detour. When we got home, I, I turned on the news and found out that that whole section of the 401, there had been a truck accident in the ice storm. And if I recall correctly, four big highway transport trucks had collided there. They were all heading in the same direction on the same lanes, and one had lost control or something. And it was an absolute mess. And there was a fire, and one of the trucks caught fire, and I don't know what they were carrying. I didn't get that deeply into it, but the highway was burned out. The asphalt had completely burned out. This had happened in the middle of the night before. And here, while I had been driving along, thinking about my schedule and my life and my destination and my time and, and having traveled that road hundreds of times before, all I could think about was, well, this is going to be great. And I stopped to think about a couple other things. There were a few other people that day who were having a lot worse day than me. And I started to think about some other things. You know, as men, I'm sure you often, when you get in a car to go on a journey, you pray that the Lord will provide safety. And safety is of the Lord. 
Gary, while you're complaining about a detour and while you're complaining by, about a delay, could it possibly be that for you anyway, God was providing protection? Fortunately, I don't think they know how, but no one was seriously injured or killed in that accident on that highway. But guys, you know, as we take this theme of long-haul living and bring it down to our practical world, your life and my life, there are detours, there are delays, aren't there? There are times when you can be set aside on the side of the highway or when you can encounter a storm that you've never seen before or a flat tire. It can come from any type of source. And you know, as we live for the Lord, those same things, come, type of things, come into our experience. As we want to live our life in such a way that counts, that makes a difference, and I believe God encourages us and wants us as men to be planners and goal setters according to His Word and under the guidance of His Word and the counsel of other people. I believe all those things are right. But we've got to take into account that our best plans and our best timing and our best uh, goal setting, as we go through life for the long haul, there are going to be some delays. There are going to be some detours. There are going to be some times when we are set aside. And it is so important if we are going to keep our balance in a world that is unbalanced, as we travel the journey of life with all kinds of things going on in other vehicles around us and other situations and weather conditions, it's so important that we keep our perspective of what a detour and a delay may actually be. I take great encouragement from the life of the Apostle Paul, which our Brother referred to here this morning in, in referring to Romans chapter 12. But when we look at his life, his experience, after he'd had that Damascus Road challenge, and after God had laid out the plan for him, and after he had bought in to God's purpose and God's plan and, and, and God's promise, it didn't mean that the long haul was going to be easy. It didn't mean it was going to be smooth. It didn't mean that it was going to go the way the Apostle Paul, in his mind, thought it was going to go. There was constant challenge, constant setbacks, pain, and all the rest of it. You know the listing that Paul shares in his life in some other writings in the New Testament. And if we go to Acts chapter 16, I think we get some idea as to how God allowed Paul to respond, and therefore, maybe if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul to apply some of these things that way, maybe it might just be good enough for little Gary here as well. And so let's look at Acts chapter 16. It's the second missionary journey. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed... But his father was a Greek. 
which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra. Him would Paul have to go with him, and he took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his for they all knew, they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith that increased in number daily. Great result. Man, what missionary, what dad, what pastor, what deacon, what head of a Bible institute doesn't get excited about great results? God's blessing. They increased in numbers daily. Wow. God is really doing things. God is really using the ministry of the Apostle Paul. God is blessing. This guy that had once been a persecutor of the church, and as we looked at his testimony last night, when he was spoken to on the Damascus Road, the Lord had said, I'm going to take you the way you are now, and I'm going to make you into something that you could never imagine becoming a minister and a witness of the gospel. And God was fulfilling that. Man, this long-haul stuff is exciting. It's thrilling. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's go on. It says, now when they were gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, look at this, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed or tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Shut down. Can you imagine how hard that would have been for a guy wired like the Apostle Paul? He was a type A. You don't move the wall, I'm going to go through it. You don't let me out of these jails, I'm going to sing and I'm going to pray till the walls come down. And the Lord said to this preacher who knew he had been called to preach. Who was excited about the journey and the calling of God and the peace of God. And the challenge that God had brought into his life. And the life change that had occurred. And the blessings of the Lord on his ministry. And the numbers increasing daily. All of a sudden God said, no, stop. That's it. That'd be a little hard to deal with. I think of my dad, preacher of the gospel for all of his active life. Until the later years when his health declined. There was no place where he was more comfortable or enjoyed more than being in the pulpit teaching and preaching the word of God. And I can't imagine how hard it would be. And I never, I, I, I didn't see this till after my dad was with the Lord, really. I can't imagine how hard it would be for those times when the Lord just said, stop. 
I've called you. I've given you that purpose. I've laid out that plan. But there's a delay here. There's a detour. How do we deal with that, guys, as men that claim to want to follow the Lord and be men of God? When our lives, as we're seeking to do the best with what we have for God and what he has called us to do, whether we're a lay person or a full-time person, and it just grinds to a halt. And the road is shut down. There's a blockade there. Well, let's look at what he did. You see, when we come to that place, we have to make a choice. And here's the choice that he made. He made the choice to submit to the delay, but not quit. He made the choice to submit to the delay that God had brought into his life, even though I'm sure he didn't completely understand it. Lord, we're going through Mysia. I, I have been called to preach to these people. I remember the Damascus Road. I remember the call of God. We're going through Mysia. There are people here who are without Christ. And I want to go over to Bithynia. And the Spirit of God said, you may be a preacher, but I don't want you to preach to these people. It made no human sense. You can't possibly wrap your head around that to this point in this portion of Scripture. But look at the response. And they, passing by Messiah, came down to Troas. They made the choice to submit, but not quit, and they kept moving. They didn't pull off to the side and have a pity party. They didn't say, well, I guess if that's the way it is, the call of God on my life must have been for a short period of time, and now that's over with. Nothing seems to be working. God doesn't want me preaching anymore. I'll just stop and I'll just stay here. No, they made the choice to say, Lord, even though I don't understand it, even though I don't understand this delay, even though I don't understand this detour, and at that point in time they didn't know whether it was just a delay or whether it was something permanent, even though I don't understand what you're doing in my life, Lord, I'm going to keep moving. And you know what happens. They go to Troas. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and look what happens. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. And look at this. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. They made the choice to submit. They made the choice to keep moving they made the choice to stay focused. And because of that, because of their surrendered heart to what God had brought into their life, even though they couldn't understand it, God kept them moving and they kept moving and they came to a place where God opened up an incredible challenge that was literally going to blow their doors off. 
because they made the choice to submit to the detour and to the delay and remain committed to the long-haul purpose of God. Let's go on down a little further. So they made the choice to submit and not quit. And I'll quickly pass over the well-known detail. As you know, they got in trouble. They ended up, as they'd crossed into Macedonia, they ended up in Philippi. And in verse 22, it says, And the multitude in Philippi rose up against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And they must have been good at it because they laid many stripes on them in verse 23. And if that wasn't enough, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, the most secure part of the prison, and made their feet fast in the stocks. And then it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. See, guys, long-haul living is about choices. The first choice we see that I have trouble with dealing in my life is the choice to submit and keep going when the road just seems to shut down, when God seems to be silent, when I can't understand. Paul, in his life, made that choice. That's an example for me today. And then he comes to a midnight hour experience. Midnight in Scripture, of course, when we think of midnights in Scripture, I'm sure most of you, your mind goes back to the Passover in Egypt. Midnight was the hour of death. It was the hour of crises. When the death angel passed over, And the firstborn who weren't covered by the blood of the Lamb were slain. In literature, in Western society, midnight is the hour of conspiracy. It's the hour of turmoil. It's the hour of crises. And when we, we just look at that, and at midnight, here they are. What a day they had had. Talk about delays. Talk about being set aside. They're they're put in front of the magistrates. They're Romans. They've got rights. Their rights are violated. They're falsely accused. They're beaten. They're thrown in the securest part of the prison. And there they sat. Where's God? Some of you may be here last evening and today, and you're going through a midnight hour in your life. Plans that you have made for family or for employment or for whatever else it may be for your church over the last couple of weeks have just come crashing down and the weight of the whole world is coming in. Where are you, God? I don't understand. Oh, God, help me. Midnight hour. And just like when God sets up a detour and a delay, there's a choice to make to submit and not quit and to keep moving, so too, 
When we come to those midnight hour experiences in the long haul living experience that we are all on, there's a choice to be made. And here we see it here. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Now that's a choice. I know you're well aware that these guys weren't praying and singing praises because they were just having a wonderful worship time of songs that had come to their mind. No, they made in the midnight hour of their life In the midnight hour of this dark experience, they made the choice to rejoice. And it is a choice. When you can't understand what God is doing, and yet life is overwhelming, and you're a child of God, and you know you're saved, and you know that God is real, but you can't figure it out. You can't see the light of day. It's the darkest time of the night. There's a choice. It's the choice to rejoice. And if you look at that, you can, you can see the reason why. And the prisoners heard them. I learned... And I'm not saying that I practice this well. But I learned about rejoicing in difficult times from a friend of mine back when I was a young person. We had a large youth group at our church there that I was, uh, where our family was attending at that time. And, and um, in our town was a school that educated sight-impaired or blind people. And it was a boarding school. It was a residential school that came from all over the province to come there and get this special training in Braille and all these other things. And some of them who came to that, had that situation, were Christians. And so, occasionally, some of them would come to our church and come to our youth group. And, and this one guy by the name of Ken... Ken came to our youth group. Ken was a big, tall guy. He he was uh, he, he could have been an athlete. He could have done anything he wanted to do. He was tall. He was blonde-haired. He was blue-eyed. He was handsome. He was sharp. He had a good job. He'd been working in construction. He wasn't really a teenager. He was in his early twenties. But when you had to go to the blind school, you had to go back and really start your whole education all over again. And so what had happened to Ken was, over a period of three months, his eyesight had gone from perfect sight to zero. And his whole life plan went into a midnight hour. And he came to our youth group. And he was a happy guy. I couldn't figure it out. How on earth, as I heard his story, as we got to know each other a little bit, how on earth can this guy be so joyful? That time, it was back in the 60s, and the coolest thing was to go to the local hockey arena in the summer and put on those roller skates and go roller skating, you know. I was pretty good at it. I'm not going to do any moves up here right now, but... My wife was a lot better, actually. We were, we were dating then, and 
She loved roller skating, and she put up with me going along, I think. I used to slow her down, actually. But uh, we would go on Saturday nights if there wasn't anything else going on. It was just something that our friends all did to hang out. We'd go down to the Brantford Civic Center and just go roller skating, then go out afterwards and get a pizza and go to someone's house and hang out for a while, that kind of thing. And, and our youth group was really quite a close youth group. And, and Ken, in our youth group, always wanted to be involved. So I remember this one time, he called me up on Saturday afternoon, and the, I mean, it wasn't a youth event that was planned, it was just four or five of my buddies and some other people, we were all going to get together, and we planned on going roller skating that Saturday night down at the Civic Center. And, and Saturday night, roller skating, you took your life into your hands, because everybody from everywhere came there. And it was just jam-packed on that hockey rink cement floor. The boards were still in. The glass was still in. It was just, I mean, if you fell, you hit cement. And, uh, oh, it was, it was just wild. It was just jam-packed. Now, Wednesday night was a better night because it wasn't as busy. It wasn't the weekend, and a lot of people had part-time jobs and all that kind of stuff. So the crowd was less on Wednesday night. But Saturday, my phone rang. I said, hi. He said, hey, it's Ken. What are the guys doing tonight? And I said, well, Ken, um, I just heard from some of the guys. They're, 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 we're we're, we're going to go out for a bit tonight. Oh, yeah? Where are you going? Well, uh, we're going to go roller skating down at the uh, Civic Center. Wow! I, I've never roller skated. I'd love to do that. Can I come? Hey, well, Ken... Uh, Man, Saturday night, it's chaos there. I mean, I, I, I often crash into the boards or slam into the cement. I mean, it's chaos there. Hey, that sounds great. I'd love to go. I couldn't talk this guy out of it. What was wrong with him? Why couldn't he see what I... Well. What's going on here? I said, okay, Ken, we'll, we'll come and get you. Now, he was big, as I said, and he had big feet. None of us had roller skates, so we always had to rent them at the Civic Center. And so I'm thinking, well, if we really take our time, I have to rent skates about size 10. Ken, what size skate do you need? 13. Okay. But I'm thinking if we really take our time, the Lord's going to get me out of this mess. We're going to get there, and there's going to be no skates either for me or for Ken. So we come up to the skate lady, and she says, what size do you want? I said, uh, I'll take size 10. You got any left? We arrived late. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just got one pair left. <laughs> sure enough, you know, they had a pair for Ken. So I set them down there. We got his skates on, and I said, Ken, you, you've never roller skated before? No, I've never roller skated before. I said, okay, listen, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll wait till a break in the music, and then we'll go out into the center, because that's where the slowest skaters skate. If you get on the outside, that's where they're really going with centrifugal force, and they're just flying around the outside, dodging in and out of each other, skating backwards and doing twirls and all. Oh, he says, that sounds cool. Okay, let's, let's start out in the center. So here we go. I get down on the, 
I get down on the, on, on the cement, and I start out into the center, and here's Ken. He's got his hand on my shoulder, and he's coming along like this. And he's up here, and I'm down here. If he ever falls forward, I'm dead. There's no way. This does not have any possibility of turning out well, folks. None. And so we get out in the center, and people are going by, and they're turning around, skating backwards, and they're looking at us. I am just sweating buckets. It's not because I'm skating hard. It's just because I know there's a crash that is coming. And we're going along, and we're creeping along the, 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 the center circle there, and we're making our way around. We went around about twice. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, Ken has his white cane out. Now, this is all very cool for a cool guy like me wanting to impress my friends, right? This really enhances the image. Look at that stairs guy from North Park Collegiate. Wow. And so he's got his white cane out. Music is blaring. I'm sweating. I'm creeping along. He's coming along behind me like this. And he, he pulls me back a little bit to him. And he said to me, isn't this awesome? This is so much fun. Now, eventually, he wanted to do it by himself. <laughs> and uh, I did manage to talk him out of that. But here's the point, guys. Ken knew how to go through a midnight hour experience and make the choice to rejoice. And the others that heard him were this little wimpy Christian guy right here. I was telling this illustration at a church many years ago, and a man came up to me afterwards. I'd lost contact with Ken after he finished his education. I'd gone off to university, and we just went separate ways, other parts of the province. A man came up to me at the door, and he said, That Ken you were talking to, would it be Ken so-and-so? And I said, Yeah. Yeah, it is. He said, I know him. Had the same influence on my life. He said, Gary, do you know what he's doing now? I said, No. He's living in Toronto. He's married. He's got a good job. He's got two wonderful teenage girls. Perfect sight. You see, Ken had to make the choice to rejoice. This man said he's still rejoicing. You see, guys, when we go through the midnight hour experiences, there's a choice to make. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto the Lord, and the prisoners heard them. I want to look at the last thing here before we close. There's the choice to submit and not quit. In the midnight hours of those detours and delays, there's the choice to rejoice. And then the final choice that needs to be made in these circumstances of, of dealing with the long haul is the choice to intervene. You see, a lot of the attention is given to Paul and Silas's midnight hour. But there was another man going through his midnight hour. He was at the front of the jail. He had a family. He had a livelihood. He had great responsibility placed on him by the authorities of Rome. 
He had been trained to do his job and to do it well. He was serious and conscientious from what we gather here, from the way he put them in securely and put them in stocks. The jailer at the front of the jail is going through a midnight hour. And when that singing started, I don't know whether he was able to hear them in the, uh, out in the front where he was, but I want to tell you, when the walls started to come down, his world started to come down. And it was crashing in around them. And he was so low, he was at a point. As his world instantly, in the midnight hour of his life, started to cave in on him, he was at a point of applying the world's solution instead of God's solution. Rome had convinced its officials that it was all right. If you can't see your way out of it, if life is caving in on you, if you can't fulfill your responsibilities, then the honorable thing to do is to take your own life. Now, I can't touch on this point without making sure you understand this. Teen and young adult suicide is ravaging our nation. And a culture that offers no hope and no direction and no absolutes and no principles and no guidance to find God and just filled with relativism is putting young people adrift and they reach the point where it is even becoming more and more acceptable in our society and in the influences on their life. If you can't handle it, then why don't you just end it? And this man's midnight hour was real. He had a family that was depending upon him. But he had reached a point where when Paul and Silas came out of that prison, he's got the dagger ready. He is ready to fall on his sword. There was another choice that had to be made. We make thousands of them a day. And here's the choice. Paul and Silas made the choice to rejoice, and others heard them. Paul and Silas made the choice to intervene, because one life was on the line. Now, I don't know whether you're the kind of person that tries to put yourself and your feelings into a situation in Scripture or not, and I know that sometimes my imagination can get the best of me. But you know what? I've wondered, as I've traveled the highway sometimes thinking about this or thinking about it and preparing for me. I wonder what I would have done if I would have been Paul. I, I, I've got, I've been abused. My rights have been violated. None of this was right for the authorities of Rome to do to me that day. I've been in prison. I've been in stocks. I've gone through an earthquake. And the person who is the symbol of all that bad stuff is now standing before me, vulnerable, ready to end it. And I have to tell you, I, I've wondered if I would have done what made the choice that Paul and Silas made to intervene. Or would I have had this sort of attitude that our culture would say, well, maybe it's almost acceptable today to say, hey, go ahead, you deserve it. 
teach you for violating my rights. Go ahead. If that's the way you feel, just go ahead. Or maybe just not said anything. And just let it unfold. I wouldn't have been held responsible by the authorities for what that man did to him, himself. Paul and Silas made choice. They made the choice to intervene. And I want you to notice just as we close what that intervention was. And Paul and Silas cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, we are all here. They cried it out because of the urgency of the moment. Because of of the distress that the one in front of them who had believed the values of a pagan culture had been educated in that culture to think like that culture, but was facing eternity without hope. They realized the urgency of it all. And they cried with a loud voice. They just didn't say, let's get together for coffee and talk about this. Cried with a loud voice. The only message that changes an eternal life. It's going to live somewhere forever. Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And somehow God used that choice of intervention in those words of intervention and broke his heart and he asked the question that all men deep within their hearts are searching the answer for. What must I do to be saved? I'm not keeping it together my way. My philosophy, my religious education, my religious background, the stuff I see on television, it's not giving me the answers. I know I'm going to live somewhere forever. Deep down, there's a groaning within every heart. Knowing that life continues after death, that there's something, life doesn't just end when it's over here on earth, but it continues. Therefore, what must I do to be saved? How can I attain that eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're from, guys, or your circumstances, but can I tell you this? There are people in your world that are depending upon that message. And you're the one that God has placed there to make the choice to intervene. May God help you, strengthen you, guide you, and lead you. Long-haul living requires choices. Choice to submit and not quit and keep moving. Your families depend upon that. When everything is going fine, when everything is secure at home, they just expect Dad to be able to deal with it. When the bad news comes, when the crisis comes, when life starts to come unglued, that's where they're counting on us to make the right choices. To stick at it. To find something in that circumstance to rejoice about. And also, to be faithful in front of them with a passion for lost souls. Father, Help us, God. Oh, God. 
Help us, strengthen us. Convict us if we need conviction. We thank you that you are patient with us and that you love us. We ask these things in your precious name, for Christ's sake, amen.